Support comes from Clipper Vacations, offering getaways on the Clipper Fast Ferry to Victoria, B.C. Clipper Ferry and hotel packages from $250 per person. Enjoy historic charm, afternoon tea, and more. Terms and conditions apply. Details and booking at clippervacations.com. Welcome to Friday. Welcome to KUOW's Week in Review. I'm Bill Radke. This week's uh, unplanned, unofficial theme is uh, selective enforcement, fair or unfair. We're going to talk about that with my panelists this week, which are Enrique Serna, retired broadcast journalist, recovering. Yeah, recovering. I I jokingly refer to myself Uh, as a recovering broadcast journalist. You can't stay away. You can't quit us. No, you know how it is. You just just can't can't quit. And you co-host the Chino y Chicano podcast with Matt Chan. That's true. We've got Lex Vaughn here, editor-in-chief of the satirical site The Needling. Slogan, Seattle's only real fake news. <laughs> Hi, Lex. Hey, like good to be here. Good to see you. <laughs> Sandeep Kaushik, political and public affairs consultant in Seattle. You are one-third of the Seattle Nice podcast about city politics. Thanks yep. for coming. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I can see you, and so can our listeners. You can be a viewer if you want to go on YouTube, search KUOW. Public radio. Okay, so when, as I said, our, our, our theme has, seems to be this week, when is enforcing a rule fair and when is it harassment? Which might sound simple, like, well, it's, it's fair if you enforce every rule on everyone all the time. Except we don't do that. We enforce rules uh, selectively because that can seem more fair or more efficient. And there were several examples this week, so I didn't know where to start. And when that happens, I always start with Nipplegate, (laughs) a a rule of mine. Oh, gosh. Seattle has a team of inspectors called the Joint Enforcement Team, made up of Seattle Police, Fire, Transportation, and members of the State Liquor and Cannabis Board. And they enforce rules, liquor rules, rules about permitting, health and safety, lewd conduct, So over the weekend, these inspectors entered 15 Seattle businesses, hookah lounges, restaurants, a roller rink, climb and pledge arena, and four Seattle gay bars. At one of those bars, the Cuff, inspectors came in with flashlights and took photos of people. Some customers left the bar, and the owner, Joey Burgess, says he can understand why. They were freaked out. They felt like they were being raided, and this isn't the first time and the only time this has happened. It's a continual thing that happens at our bar. At those 15 venues, the inspectors noted fired code violations, no business license. And at three of the gay bars, they found uncovered buttocks and an exposed nipple, which you technically can't do where there's alcohol being served. The gay bars and their supporters call this a harassment of queer people and queer spaces. There's a history of that. The Liquor and Cannabis Board said that was not our intention. We're not going to cite anyone, and we have suspended enforcement of the lewd conduct rule. Lex, what was your reaction? Was this the right outcome? Uh, I'm glad to hear that the Liquor Board is taking some real action uh, and that the legislature is looking at passing laws to make sure that something like this doesn't happen. But um, it, it does, it's just unbelievable that in 2024, you know, we're like going back to like the 1950s here with this. Um, and it's insane that like this is a, city where like nudity is legal throughout the city <laughs> right? and and all of a sudden you know i think burgess had a, a quote in the seattle times about how you could play kickball for charity at a jock strap at cal anderson park but you walk into a 21 and over gay bar and you can be cited um there's definitely a chilling effect that this is creating even if an official sighting isn't happening and i think that's the purpose of whoever did this um at the Seattle Police Department. You do. You don't believe the denial of the Liquor and Cannabis Board that said this is not a targeted... I, I really wonder what's going on behind the scenes. I mean, I'm sure that it seems like there's some coordination between the board and local enforcement that, uh, you know, maybe is at odds right now from what I can see in reporting. Um, but... Yeah, it, I mean, it seems like someone at the city this, needs to be held accountable. The optics on this for the liquor control yeah. board are pretty bad. Uh, yeah. Let's face it, and yeah. and I think they're probably in a crisis mode here and trying to figure out. Okay, well, why? My my question is immediately like, okay, why? Why did this happen? Mm-hmm. Who was the one that said, okay, well, let's go here mm-hmm. and um, and then I, I'm glad they're putting a pause on this to look at it. 
but it looks pretty bad. I, I want to hear from you, Sandy, because because Enrique raised the question. What I one thing I know is that the Liquor and Cannabis Board told my Northwest that one gay bar inspection was a follow up to a complaint to police about lack of security and the amount of sexual conduct on the premises. <laughs> Another was a follow up after seeing patrons leaving there in January with liquor in hand. One of them falling down drunk. But but, but the club owners say we've never been cited for alcohol or violence related offenses. You know, I mean, uh, God forbid there's gambling taking place in the in the casino, right? I mean, I, I don't know, you know, that there's that there's potentially, you know, people in jock straps or an exposed male nipple in a gay bar, you know, hardly seems like a, you know, a, a federal offense here. And so I don't think it was just a black eye for the Liquor Control Board. I think it's a black eye for SPD, for, yeah. for yeah, Seattle exactly. Police. Like, and, yeah. uh, you know, I first heard about this whole incident when I got a text from my former boss when, you know, back in the day when I was at The Stranger, Dan Savage, who texted mm-hmm. me last weekend. And he's like, we're down hundreds of cops in the city of Seattle. And uh-huh. this is what the priority yep, is, yep, like yep. raiding gay bars and, you know, over quote unquote lewd conduct. Like, you know, what the hell is going on here? And I think that's a pretty valid point. Right? Well, this this stems from the fact that in Washington state, which may be alone in the whole nation, hmm. it, you can't sell alcohol at a strip club. So then they have to have rules about, well, we're selling alcohol at whatever kind of bar this is. Um, then you can't have people getting naked. Well, so <laughs> if we walk in, let's say we're even are uh, checking, we're checking on a complaint, or we're checking on your business license, or whatever it is. Do back to my original question: When do you enforce the fact that ah, you're showing skin that you're not allowed to show? They didn't get cited. They got noted. The businesses got notified. This not supposed to go on at your club. I mean, it's interesting that it's like they're citing lewd conduct as just a man without a T-shirt, his nipple exposed. I mean, wow. When in history has that even been considered lewd? Yeah, <laughs> a yeah. man with his shirt yeah, off. What is lewd mean? <laughs> in that context, I mean, forget that... 1950. When was that ever true? Well, <laughs> I don't know. That image of me of that, uh, just sort of if I see Bill or uh-huh. some people with their shirts off. I yeah. can, <laughs> can kind of well, take my shirt okay. off now. All right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Subjective. <laughs> <laughs> Engage in a little bit of lewd behavior. Right. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it, it's it, for the community. I can totally understand, particularly in these times, being upset and concerned. Yeah. Because it's uh, and, and in this year, particularly, yeah. yep. because of all the divisiveness, all the concerns about, and just okay, brings up the past, which isn't you know the past isn't that long ago. Yeah. Which a lot of people don't want to look at the past. But the fact is, it's there. You can't ignore it. Seattle's been, you know, in the forefront of, of a lot of things regarding gay rights mm-hmm. in the city. So, yeah, if you're the community, you you you, you say, hey, this is it ain't right. Totally. And and uh, your point, Enrique, about the past being not not that long ago, I think it's really interesting here because you hear us kind of like going, like, this is crazy, and we're dunking on this mm-hmm. lunacy. What are they doing? But. I moved here, what, just barely 20 years ago, uh-huh. and the vibe in Seattle when I came here, you know, we're not talking about the 50s, sure. we're talking about yeah, the absolutely. 2000s, was totally different, right? There was this kind of, what I would call, provincial uh-huh. pinch face prudery yeah. of old Seattle that was still in existence when I first moved here, and it was things like the one-year strip club moratorium that extended for 17 years and the four-foot rule, remember that? Where yeah. In strip clubs. <laughs> a teen or, dance or Yeah, yeah teen there you dance go, or, right. The, the, the ban on Sunday liquor sales because, oh, oh God, yeah. God forbid, yes. somebody might yes. show up in church drunk, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we can't allow Well, that. I've been here since 1975, and I can go back to the time of when there was an initiative, 13 in the city, regarding, you know, gay rights issues. And also... Two members of the police department were backing that initiative. And uh, so, again, it's not that long ago yeah. that these yeah. things were prevalent here. So right. and and so for the community to to, yeah. to get ticked about this whole thing, they have every right. And yeah. then and when we're talking about like not that long ago, how about just like November and December this last year, this proposal from the city parks department to put this like children's playground next to a historically known like gay you know um nude, nude beach. beach yeah and so it's it just it's kind of just unsettling to see how from from the city itself people employed by the city there are these 
weirdly conservative things like attacking the local gay community. Like there's that. And you may see him as unrelated, but I think the context does matter. It just seems very strange. Well, um, yeah, I'm going to be interested to see kind of what happens next on all of this. Um, and because, again, they, they, they screwed this up. Yeah, I mean, clearly there's a backlash, and and LCB is running away from it. Yeah. I think there will be legislation probably that gets passed, and here. running away quickly. Right. Right away. I, I mean, memo to LCB and SBD, but Seattle is no longer Mayberry with high rises. I mean, remember that 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 infamous yeah. line from yeah. then Council Member Judy Castro, right? That was that was only 20 years ago, right? That, yeah. That, you could legitimately call Seattle Mayberry with high rises. You can't say that anymore. Well, but you say, uh, Enrique, you say they screwed this up. This is what the chair of the Liquor and Cannabis Board said about that. Quote, when there's laws on the books, it is really hard to say, well, we're just not going to enforce that one. The legislature doesn't like that, and for good reason. Hmm. Well, it's a matter of common sense, right? And, and um, you know, there's discretion here, right? Mm-hmm. We don't pull over everybody who's yeah. going two miles above the speed limit and yeah. give them a $100 ticket, right? Because and in fact, there are Seattleites who would like police to be, wasn't that partly what this last election was about? They would like the police to be, uh, <laughs> to turn their heads less and to do more enforcing of laws that, that police are already, that we, they prioritize. And in some contexts, I'm supportive of that. But this one is ridiculous. Like, and, and, but that is the reality with all of application of law. Discretion is happening. And mm-hmm. I think we all hope that, you know, the application and enforcement of law is only to help increase safety of everyone. But in this case, it's like who feels safer? It's right. quite the opposite. The opposite. Right. Okay. Yeah. The other question I have about this, what's the legislature going to do about it? Right. Because the, there are legislators, there's a, there's an LGBTQ caucus in Olympia. The session right. is underway. There are legislators wanting short to amend too. short session, yeah. wanting to amend state law that spells out what you can't expose around alcohol sales. But what change are they actually going to make that's now going to apply in Moses Lake as well as in Seattle? I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> okay, so I don't think Moses Lake has a problem with it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. For They're sure. all for <laughs> male nudity. And they could be even like. crazier. No yeah. one's watching. Yeah, yeah. The Jockstrap jock yeah. Caucus in Moses Lake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Moses so, Lake is a good place. Yeah. Relative no, yeah. Nothing wrong with Moses Lake. Yeah. So another uh, enforcement <laughs> issue this week. Let us then turn to a couple of Seattle school board members mm-hmm. resigning after getting away with something that they say was not a big deal. They didn't break any law, and it's a manufactured manufactured distraction. What were these Sandeep, people you, thinking? Yeah, we, who, I think, Sandeep, you emailed me first uh-huh. about this. Do you want to just describe what happened? And we can yeah, we had, we had the resignations of two of the abrupt resignations of two of the seven school board members this week because um, they announced that, that they had moved out of the, the district of the city where that uh, from which they were elected and which they are supposed to represent. And right. at least in one of the cases, in the case of Vivian Song, I don't think there's there's a lot of ambiguity here. There's been a lot of obfuscation and saying, oh, well, the, the policy and the law is ambiguous. It's not. It says if you move out of your district, you, that seat has to go up on the next election, which was in November 2023. And Vivian did tell the school district in 2022 that she had moved out of the district. So to me, this looks like a massive screw up really on the part of the district that a seat that should have been up for election wasn't put up. And, uh, and either they were inattentive and ignored the law or they were incompetent. And unfortunately, I think this is just the latest in a series of issues we have with the school district that, 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 um, that raise questions about whether they have their act. So this, here's an enforcement that you did want. To happen, <laughs> Lex. I, I mean, I think the law is super clear about like what what's supposed to happen, and like this is basic election law about you know uh, we do have rules there about what, when somebody who can run and when they can run and what the criteria are. And I, 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 I mean, it, it seems like the the right thing kind of <laughs> happened. Like they needed to resign, and you know maybe some of this needed to be clearer a lot faster. Uh, I think I'm just surprised at like some of the reaction this week, like how how riled up people have gotten about it, because 
I think Vivian Song, this isn't like a new thing for her to be shopping around districts. She kind of openly has been doing that for like the last few years. So it's not shouldn't be that shocking that she's kind of. So all over the place that, you know, if there was a gap in legality there probably. Plus Vivian was a candidate for the yeah. uh, council position. But that probably eight. renewed some Yeah, well, you know, more scrutiny. focus there because yeah. I think also as she was, you know, interviewing for this in the, in the public uh, uh, forums, she talked about, you know, rep- being on the school board but also working on – you know their financials, which wasn't a good thing because yeah. they've got some huge budget problems. Yeah, but I mean, if you already well, so does the know, city, so she would have been right at home. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's true. That's true. Uh, but I, I don't think I'd use that as a bragging no. point. You know, so the other part of it is that okay, you know that you're you're going to move out of the area, so you know, you're yeah. going to hide this whole thing. And then it's I don't know how dumb. much sympathy to have for. I mean, it's been reported that both of the candidates that or the uh, people who resigned from the board, like had family, you know, kind of transitions going on. And I think I have some sympathy for that. But um, maybe they didn't want to talk about why they moved from one district to another. And if they told Vivian Song says, at least I'm not sure about uh, Lisa Rivera, but um, I think they're both saying we informed the school Hmm. district about this. And they thought it was like a uh, in the category of a jockstrap wearing <laughs> that it wasn't. It's not hurting anybody. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't yeah. know why the district didn't didn't yeah. enforce it. But the district says, "Well, we're not the enforcer on this. That's a King County elections issue." Mm. So it just didn't get it didn't get enforced. And yeah. then now they say they they both they they I think they both signed a letter saying. Okay, we'll go. Lisa Rivera said, yeah, I moved out of my district, too. I'll yeah. go. But that this is a manufactured – this is something that didn't need to be enforced. Eh. Well, no, I, if you're running for office yeah. and there are requirements, yeah. you're representing people in a particular area, come on. They well, probably should be more strict. But I, it's like in the grand scheme of things, it is like there's so many other weird kind of like points of accountability that aren't, you know – happening in the city it just surprises me that people got so up in arms about this when it's like personally it's like i'm more you know i don't know my attention goes towards like seattle police officers that aren't being held accountable for higher crimes so i think i'm just surprised that people are just so thrown by it i don't know i i will just say and i i I kind of said this uh, to some extent earlier but i think the performance of the seattle school district has been really shockingly atrocious in, in, in recent years. And there have been a series of issues that I don't think have gotten nearly the attention they deserve. I mean, we are seeing huge problems at the Seattle schools, yeah. huge declines in academic performance, huge loss of students, right? But people More so the, than nationwide coming out of the pandemic? Uh, you know, I, I, I mean, definitely um, it's a nationwide wide problem. But I think in Seattle, there's definitely some indications that that yeah, the the levels of of academic decline have been really you know pretty bad, and the 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 number of students we're losing from the district are worse mm-hmm. than other districts in Washington State, right? There's been some some material on that, and and the shocking thing is the district and the board hasn't been particularly interested in asking why why are people pulling their kids out of the district? I think because they don't like the answer. Uh, um, so anyway, I, I think there's a lot to be said about what's been happening with the Seattle schools, and then you have a thing like this, which just looks so, like, it just feels like a breaking the, point. You know, yeah. Only yeah. adds yeah. to the black eye yeah. of the, on the school district. Yeah. And, but you're probably talking about closing schools next year all mm-hmm. across the city. Yeah. Yeah. You know, these are these are big traumatic things for neighborhoods when a school closes. So, so it, I think school closures are happening outside of Seattle as well. There are, there, there are, but. Um, and nothing's happened in Seattle yet, and there's nothing happening this year. But I think there's a a sense of kind of looming sense of doom. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Well, it doesn't help. It doesn't. If you're a parent, mm-hmm. uh, it only raises the concerns about the quality of the school district, mm-hmm. and and I suppose why a lot of people, mm-hmm. even in the past, have moved out of Seattle to be able to be in a school district that they feel that the child is going to get, you know, a better education, and mm-hmm. you know. All, it's a big knock on an urban district as well. So that only makes it look that much worse. And so I think that that's part of the reaction to this, I think, of yeah. why people are just like, oh, okay, you know, this ticks me off. I don't like it. And so it, it becomes newsworthy. 
If if the district can't get the basics right of figuring out when yeah. a seat should be put up for election, you know, how are they going to get the get the it's kind the of basic like a, right of educating our kids? It's right? kind of like a timeout moment, like yeah. hold up, yeah. what's Wait going on? <laughs> okay, well let's pause here on on week in review, and we're going to talk about another enforcement question. What about you? I, you could call it civil disobedience that interferes with an officer. Do you prosecute that? Sometimes, always, never. We will definitely discuss when we come back on KUOW's Week in Review. Support comes from Pacific Science Center, working to inspire the next generation of scientists and increase access to STEM education statewide through digital discovery workshops, science on wheels, and summer camps. More ways to support these efforts at PACSci.org. Support comes from Gather Pottery, hosting ceramicist Sarah Anderson, teaching a weekend Sgraffito workshop for all levels, May 18th and 19th at Gather Pottery in Interbay. Learn more at gatherpottery.com. You're listening to KUOW's Week in Review. You're watching it if you're at YouTube. Just search KUOW Public Radio. I'm your host, Bill Radke. I'm here with the editor-in-chief of The Needling, Lex Vaughn, political public affairs consultant Sandeep Kaushik, Kaushik and recovering journalist and uh, podcast co-host Enrique Serna. And we are going to continue now talking about uh, our unofficial theme this week, selective enforcement. We've already talked Exposed nipple and buttocks, and <laughs> I could talk about that all day. All day, but if only. If Should only. we worry about you? Yeah, yeah. It really is amazing how this thing works. Yeah, yeah. Right. we discussed uh, local school board members moving around the city. What about this one? This week, the um, Seattle City Attorney's Office prosecuted someone who tried to prevent a cop from impounding someone's RV. Lex, uh, what what happened there? I mean, to me, what really gets me is like Ann Davison, our city attorney here in Seattle, a Republican who became Republican during the Trump administration. It's a nonpartisan uh, seat. But, right, but, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we know she's uh, a Republican. sure. Um, I mean, she got elected because there were a lot of people thinking we need to crack down on crime in the city. And here she is like spending a lot of time and resources on someone who really was just making a stand for someone who needed, you know, a place to sleep that night. And it's like, is that really the way we become safer? Is that we're uh, going this hard on people who just are very passionate about, you know, stopping sweeps when there's no shelters for these people to go to? I want to get others' reactions. I'll just fill in yeah. some facts that, the, from what I know, the RV was illegally parked. The woman living in it said she just needed more time to get the tire fixed. The officer said, no, take your stuff out and go, which she did. And when they tried to then impound the RV, the protester climbed up on it and spent about 12 minutes there, climbed down after the tire arrived. The SPD wouldn't allow the woman to install it. And the protester um, was uh, arrested for obstructing a public officer. He went to trial. The jury couldn't agree, so it was a mistrial. Any other reaction? Yeah. I mean, look, in terms of the specific circumstances of this case, at least as from what I've read as, as it was reported in The Stranger, I do question the decision to 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 take this to trial, right? Um, and, and obviously it ended in a mistrial where I, a majority, four of the six jurors, didn't want to um, – Convict, right? So, which also I think raises the question of if if your case is that weak, why do you why do mm-hmm. you push it? I will just really quickly say though, I think there's a broader context here, and this is something I've been saying a lot, but it's not 2020 in Seattle anymore, right? And there was this moment in 2020 that I would describe as almost a kind of semi hysteria that happened in in Seattle because of COVID and Trump and George Floyd, where you know there were massive protests, right? And there was a a, a, a way that these were seen, I think, somewhat crudely as sort of righteous protesters. This is John Lewis on the Edmund Pettus Bridge against evil jackbooted cops, right? That was the whole sort of context of 2020. I don't think that mo- that moment has passed. We, we recently saw a big protest on I-5 that shut down I-5 for hours, and I and the Washington State Patrol allowed it to happen, didn't arrest me, and they got a ton of blowback on that. And so... Well, in this particular case, I'm not sure it was a wise decision to um, 
to take this case, to, this protester uh, uh, to trial. Uh, you know, if you're going to act and engage in civil disobedience and engage in disruptive behaviors, there potentially are going to be consequences for it, and potentially there should be. I think, you know, there should be. Uh, I think that the thing here is that uh, the resources being spent on this, mm-hmm. and is, aren't they going to just continue to try to prosecute him again? I think that's unknown. That's unknown. They've dropped it. They've dropped it. Have they dropped it completely? Okay. So, and someone from the city attorney's office even resigned. Uh, I don't know the full story behind that, but I mean, in any case, what this reveals to me is, you know, her election and Davison. uh, There was a lot of um, talk of just cracking down on crime, and it's like, is that even happening? You know, if you're focused on someone who, in the grand scheme of things, was not making this city more dangerous. Well, also the backlog that the yeah. office has yeah. of other cases, yeah. you know, stemming from back to yeah. COVID and other times. So it's like, okay, is this a big enough case to continue to, to even bring it to yeah. to a trial and, and do yeah. all that? So I think that's what, you know, people are kind of, okay, yeah. let, let's move on. Yeah. So that's the bigger thing. I do question this case. Like, I, I will make the argument. I, I, I don't think Ann, Ann Davison and the way she's characterized sometimes on social media by the left as some kind of law and order ogre. I, I don't, just don't think that, that that fits sort of how she's been, been running that office generally. I mean, I do think they have rebalanced from where they were in 2019 and 2020, where it was all about you know, ending any kind of kind of you know coercive interventions or or, or prosecutorial interventions, um, but I, I I hardly think Seattle is some kind of you know war on drugs 2.0 or carcerosis. Some of the some of the sort of bumper sticker slogans I hear get bandied around by the left. I think are just well, know, I don't I don't think yeah. there's the resources to do any of that anyway. So that's that's one of the bigger challenges. Again, it goes back to the the, the backlog of things and. Uh, you're trying to work your way through all of that. I do think this is a, it was a political move to bring this case this far, though, because it's like like we're saying. I mean, there's there's a lot of work for the city attorney to do. A huge uh, backlog. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're talking about not having enough resources do to do all kinds of things. So why this vendetta? Like, you know, against someone who, even if you think they technically broke the law and they're annoying or whatever, like. Is this really a vicious criminal we all need to worry about? I mean, they're really standing up. They were standing up for someone who they thought needed to be defended, you know, have their property and their right to a place to sleep that night defended. I don't think that's, um, you know, cracking down on that person is really making any of us safer every day. So you're saying she was just trying to make an an example here. Yeah. 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 And and I will agree that. I don't think the circumstances of this case were particularly like clear cut. I actually think there's a good argument to be made that SPD and the officers that were that were there in that incident could have handled it in a different way that would have been, you know, led to a yeah. led to a better outcome, a right? Right. Way so I don't I, I don't move this person. I'm not trying like, to defend this prosecution because I it looks pretty dubious to me and if it was a political decision, it was a dumb one on their part because yeah. it didn't work, right? Yeah. Um that said, you know, the the sort of stop the sweeps crowd like like that sort of tries to protest, uh, you know, a lot of these encampment removals, you know, at some point if they're crossing the line and disrupting kind of ordinary government functions, right, that, that – and by the way, we've adjudicated sort of stop the sweeps in multiple elections now in Seattle recently and the stop the sweep side has lost those elections. So – um, so this is a, you know, a, 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 the normal course of government business. And if it's getting d- disrupted at times in, in destructive ways, I, I'm not against them bringing a case like this. In this circumstance, though, I don't think it was it, it was a smart decision or an appropriate one. Well, OK. It's kind of one last thing. It's just like both sides are trying to kind of make their own point. The stop the sweeps guy and so is Ann Davidson. So, Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'm hearing uh, some disagreement about the bigger direction of the city, but uh, some agreement about that this was not the uh, case to choose. This is not the RV to die on.
Yeah, okay. that's right. Or to so, stand on. Or to yeah. stand on, I should say. Maybe yes. it was. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we have been, Lex, we, we discussed the city council moving in this more uh, cop-friendly and business-friendly direction. You yeah. also perceive an anti-voter direction, and there might be some disagreement here, too. Mm. What this, is, this has to do with whether uh, Seattle can hold its elections Local elections in even years when mm-hmm. there are the you know state congressional yeah. presidential elections instead of the way we're doing it now, odd years. So, I mean, there's plenty of data and research proving that voter turnout is stronger on even years. Um, and there is like, you know, an effort to, you know, pass laws that put more of the elections on even years to increase voter turnout. And Sarah Nelson, uh, our city council president like has is openly saying that she's like well you know higher voter turnout isn't necessarily a good thing and i just i just think that's shocking that someone what was the quote do you remember what what she said i thought the gist was well uh, more voters doesn't mean more informed voters or something like that that. that's actually i think where the point that she was trying to make yeah but she's making it in the context of an effort to increase voter turnout um so, I mean, it doesn't seem like she's really, like, supporting more voter yeah. turnout. Because uh, it doesn't work out in her favor. <laughs> what, are the, what are the arguments? So they're, they're, a voter turnout, I think, is pretty consistently well accepted. Uh, people turn out in the even years, the bigger you know, national state elections. What are the arguments against uh, having local elections at that higher turn, at those higher turnout years. Well, one thing I, I wanted to mention here is that I, I, I called Sarah Nelson and had a phone conversation with her last night about okay. this whole thing, and she said that um, her point really has to do with if you have it in the even years, they're going to get uh, the local topics, the local uh, uh, whatever is going to be voted on locally will won't get the coverage and won't get. Uh, as it would during the the odd years, right? The, the, Local issues yeah, get it'll be swamped. overwhelmed. They'll yes. be swamped by the bigger issues, the you know the candidates running for governor, senator, whatever, yep. and that the local issues will just be overlooked. So that's why she is uh, for them staying in the odd years. Yeah. Um, look, I, I went and I pulled the full quote uh, from the council briefing with that where you know council president. Nelson was talking. And frankly, I think the way this got portrayed first in The Stranger and then on social media was a really unfair smear job on Mm -hmm. on Sarah. And she wasn't saying I'm for lower turnout or I'm for, you know, the stranger characterizes that she wants to suppress the vote. And this is akin to, you know, literacy tests and Jim Crow 2.0. And they kind of did this whole thing that then got amplified in, I think, an incredibly unfair and distorted way. What the argument she was making, when you look at the whole context and the stranger pulled one line out of a paragraph, mm-hmm. uh, you know, shorn of any, is exactly what Enrique is saying. She, she's saying, look, yeah, we get higher turnout in, in even years, but there's a trade-off here, right, that we got to think about. And the trade-off is, do we lose a lot of public and civic and media engagement with these local races because there's going to be so much of the attention is going to be focused on presidential and gubernatorial. That's an argument I've made on, on Seattle Nice. We, I, I, I think there's a very plausible argument to, to make the switch. There are, but there's a plausible argument on the other side that we should take into consideration. That's the only point that she was making. Okay. It wasn't about voter suppression. And mm-hmm. I do think this is where the left, like they have a lot of substantive issues where they disagree with Sarah Nelson, where, where yeah. she disagrees with them. And I think it's perfectly fair for them to go after her on all of that. This one, I think, is more, I think, um, tells us more about some of the problems on the left than it does about... Well, Sarah Nelson okay. also said in, in response to the, the article in The Stranger, I said, well, what would you think about it? She says, well, they're going to say what they're going to say, which means that they, they have a point of view, and that's the point of view they're going to take, but and that isn't, it doesn't seem like it's going to move her. I also think it's pretty like bold of her to openly not support a thing that has proven to increase voter turnout when she just appointed a city council candidate that lost the most recent election. Um, so I, I just think how does she's that, How does shameless. that, what, what, I don't understand. Tanya Wu Yeah, I know, lost, I know Tanya Wu. I and know, then she I got know. appointed to the yeah. city council. Right. So it's like, you know, on top of not showing clear support for 
legislation or, or an effort that could increase voter turnout. Um, she's I, I also. Don't, I don't understand how that connects to the Tanya Wu. Uh, it connects because someone who lost an election still got a seat on the city council. And so a lot of people who did not want her on the city council feel like, wow, um, my decision here to make her nut be on the city council um, didn't count. Well, but <laughs> I, I guess I have to point out the one thing in response to that is that Tanya Wu only lost by 400 votes and nearly knocked off an incumbent in a pretty close race. And uh, it was a district race. It was, not a, it a, was a district race. It was a citywide but, race. So, but yeah. to, isn't it fair for, I, I think I hear Lex also saying, um, okay, we also are wise enough to know that um, when a someone more, cons- it's going to benefit uh, Sarah Nelson more to have in your opinion. Well, I'll, you could speak for yourself, but you, I, you, you, <laughs> well, seem, she is you saying seem something like very clearly um, condescending towards people here in the city when she's saying like, well, maybe it's better if some people don't vote. Okay, well, whether the, that we are, we already adjudicated the condescending. What I'm listen. What I'm trying saying that. What I'm suggesting though. So separate from whether whether from that the context of her remarks. Isn't it fair to notice when uh, a group advocates a kind of election setup that happens to benefit that group? Sure, you can make the argument that that. Um, and, and look, I think this Do is you a accept kind of, that that higher turnout is better for progressives. In Seattle I don't actually. No, oh, and this is oh. the point I was about to make. Right, I think this is um this is um it's a kind of um, article of faith. I, I think on the left that um, higher turnout in elections generally and in Seattle particularly lead to more progressive results and outcomes. But that used to be true in Seattle. 10, 12 years ago, um, that was, I think, the case. But for various changes and kind of polarization and how the electorate works, I can actually make a very strong argument to you from the last couple of election cycles that the left does best in lower turnout primaries than they do in higher turnout general elections in Seattle. Now, I I think there are limits on my argument on this. I think once you get to like 85 percent turnout levels, you are turning out a lot more infrequent, younger renter voters. So that may I think what I'm saying is it's complicated, right? There isn't some linear like, oh, we jack turnout 5 percent and suddenly the left wins every election and we stop the sweeps and, you know, whatever. But I also think that there's a a deep concern about voter turnout um, locally and particularly in communities of color. We don't turn out when we we should be turning out. We we need to be involved. We need to be part of the process. And um, I mean that that even in the Tanya Wu Tammy Morales thing, uh, that is still an issue of getting people, the communities of color, to get interested in the process and be part of the process and not just think, well, my vote doesn't count. So are you saying even your elections benefit communities of color, even if local issues get swamped? I think that in even the years, yeah, because the bigger what's happening nationally and all yeah. of that, that will bring it people out. There's a, yeah, yeah, yeah it does. in the mood. Yeah, it it's does. Like, it's like yeah. season. Well, yeah. People and, get into it. Well, then you've, no. got, you've, got, you've got Trump. You've got yeah. you know, all of that that brings people to to the polls. And um, so, yeah, that makes a big difference. Okay. Uh, I, I would just just to close my thought. I'm I think higher turnout is good. Right. Yeah, you know, okay. like I'm not trying to no matter the political the, persuasion. No. Yeah, no matter the political I persuasion. Be I, saying I, you know, it more participation that. is a good Engagement thing. I, I, good. All I think. <laughs> How can Sarah, you not want to vote? All I think, I think Sarah Nelson was trying to say and that that I have said in the past is that there are other variables here, too, that we should at least take a look at yeah. right before. Before making these decisions, right, right? And, Fair. Uh, and demonizing people for saying that, I don't think is a good look for the left. Okay, uh, I think we're anti-demonizing. Can we set, can we agree there? All right, uh, uh, maybe nipples, <laughs> I want to know are there nipples involved? <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. Well, okay. Now the, the, uh, well, let's take a break on that. You note. started. I mean, I, I you started. started. I'm, I'm going to finish it. We're going to take a break and come right back with more. And we're going to finish week in review. We are rounding up this uh, edition of KUOW's Week in Review. I'm Bill Radke here with political consultant Sandeep Kaushik, the Needlings, Lex Vaughn, and co-host of the Chino y Chicano podcast, Enrique Serna, and the King County Executive and the mayor of Seattle declared homelessness an emergency seven and a half years ago. So it wouldn't 
all be Seattle's burden. They created the King County Regional Homelessness Authority, and this week that agency said it's appointing a new interim CEO. Uh, Sandeep, we'll have more time to to get into this uh, later as we actually see what happens on the homelessness front, but you say there are real questions here. Is this agency going to survive? Should it survive? I would say, what if it doesn't? Yeah, I think there are. It's been clear that uh, while the idea of regionalizing our homelessness response is a great idea in theory, it's not at all clear that it's worked very well in practice. Uh, We have very limited buy-in from the suburbs uh, uh, on this. We've got uh, a governance structure for King County RHA that the mayor himself uh, recently said is incredibly convoluted and doesn't seem to be working very well. Um, there have been a series of – there's no independent funding source for King County RHA, so all of their money comes from either the county or the city. So they're not really independent, though, and, and it creates tensions because when the city gives them all this money and says, oh, we want to build some tiny homes with it, and the King County RHA says, no, we don't like tiny homes, it's gonna, it creates natural conflict. So, so the listener might want to yeah. know, how will I notice this? It, you know, is, it, is it going away? Does, well, what would that mean for homelessness? Well, well, well first of all, the fact that we've got an, another interim, right? The, Mark Dones, the, the, the initial CEO, resigned last May. Mm-hmm. We're not going to have a um, new CEO, permanent CEO, probably till the second half of this year if it happens at all. So the primary agency regionally that's supposed to deal with our biggest problem homelessness is essentially rudderless it's and a leadership issue it's a leadership i mean they're they're kind of like a bad nfl team that's going through <laughs> coaches yeah. you know all right well uh let's let's put a uh put a yeah. pin in that because we're gonna see we're gonna we're, yeah I, I mean that funding the 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 uh the donor kind of umbrella group we are in that imploded it it's just a lot of stuff happening and we'll see the yeah. business community is still very invested in the regional approach and they're pushing to reform and save king county RHA, and maybe that will work but i think it's unclear what's going to happen okay we'll watch it here mm-hmm. are a few other uh, news items from the week we haven't gotten a chance to get to yet the price of the express toll lanes on 405 and 167 are going up to a maximum $15 in March. Whoa. Public testimony that- basically was like what you just did. Whoa. Um, Is that going like straight to Medina? Or right. Well, yeah. the, the testimony was against this, but the Transportation Commission said, look, we got to charge enough money that some drivers say no thanks. Uh, so that makes the toll lanes run faster. But that, of course, means the free lanes run slower. And critics, of course, complain it's too expensive and that it's the state voting to take more money for itself. But the Transportation Commission says, well, that extra state income is going to pay for the road projects you like. Yeah. So that's where that's at. It's going to get more expensive. Uh. Okay. Uh, another issue this week, a state Republican state senator is sponsoring a measure that you might usually associate with Democrats. Enrique, you flagged this. What does Pasco Senator Nikki Torres want? She is uh, proposing legislation that would require all state agencies to identify on their websites which programs and services uh, accept applicants for uh, with federal deferred action for childhood arrival status. That's DACA. And actually, what's interesting to me about this is that she's a Republican from the Tri-Cities. Mm-hmm. You would think that a Democrat would be... Uh, would be proposing this legislation. This legislation, I, I was talking to Bob Hasegawa, and uh, you know, who's a senator from Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like it has a pretty good chance of, of passing. Uh, it's it, it's going to help the DACA recipients. But again, it, the interesting fact is that it's being proposed by a Republican, and I think that's interesting because uh, I think it's going to raise her street cred <laughs> in the Tri Cities and her community, which is uh, I don't know, it's probably fifty percent. Latino over there. Mm-hmm. She's a first generation, although she was born here. Uh, and her parents, I mean, were came here from Mexico, but she was born here. So um, it's just an interesting tidbit because not exactly the type of thing that Republicans around the country are supporting because they're not. You Do you know. think she'll pay a political price in Yakima? I, no, I, I, I think it'll help her. Yeah, I mean, okay. it might take off all of her Republicans in that area. Well, she's a Republican. Yeah, I know, but it's going to play to the crowd. It's Every now and really then, well. Eastern Washington surprises you. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. sometimes it's like they're so relatively conservative and Republican over there. Yeah. They sometimes surprise themselves about 
what kind of like relative like progressive thing right. they're supporting. Like I mean, Spokane has passed some things that are more progressive on housing than right. Seattle has. Yeah. It's like, wait, what's happening? Here? And nobody, and their, their <laughs> yeah. homeless issue, Tacoma, is, their, their homeless yeah. 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 is really uh, a big problem yeah. in Spokane. Yeah, you know, we yeah. talk so much about here. Uh, anyway, yeah. it's uh, I think smart move for the senator. She's only been there for since 2022. Um, you know, whether her people in her party don't like it or not tough i think i I think it'll pass i'm thrilled to see it i'm glad you flagged it and enrique good for her yeah you know Mm -hmm. Uh, you 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 flagged something else for us and you sent audio with this Uh, enrique a former i travel with audio there you go yeah (laughs) it is what we do um a former wait i thought you were a a retired yeah well recovering you know that recovering thing yeah um so we heard this week the sad news that a former first lady of washington passed away nancy bell evans was the wife of republican dan evans who was governor from 1965 to 77 that's right a republican and, and you brought some audio, Enrique, of you interviewing the couple. When was this? This, I'm trying to remember, I think this was probably back in 2007 or so okay. back then. Right. Uh, Might have been a little past that time. Um, we did a program at the University of Washington honoring Dan and Nancy uh, Evans for their service uh, well over 50 years at the time. Uh, but Nancy tells, uh, it's an interesting story about when Dan would get long-winded. Of course, uh, Dan has can I just yeah. play it? Yeah, yeah, please do, please do. It'll yeah, speak yeah. for itself. This yes, is you, will. you trying to get her to tell a funny story. Right, yeah. Tell me about listening to him give a speech and the signal you had. I don't want to do that. Because <laughs> I just used it. <laughs> My hearing isn't as good as it used to be. <laughs> the signal, if you don't know, is that you cough. I do, I cough, yes. And I could be way in the back of the room, and he could, he would hear it. Because sometimes, you know, you get going, and you just get going a little bit too long. And I <laughs> and I and I I really didn't do it, have to do it often, but there were occasions when he was really wound up, and I just you can only sit and listen for so long, and then you know. <laughs> and I would cough, and bless his heart, he would I could see him hear him winding down, and he would close it up. But I understand one time you were giving a speech and you thought, I'm doing really well. This is a good speech. But you kept hearing this cough. Absolutely. I, and I didn't know what in the heck was wrong. And I kept throwing notes away and kind of <laughs> working my way down. Got down and, uh, and got off the podium and went back to Nancy and said, what was wrong? She said, nothing. That was a great speech. I said, you were coughing all the time. She said, oh, my God. Uh, cold. <laughs> she had a cold. <laughs> it sure ruined the speech. <laughs> we all, my wife does, her version is to put her foot next to my foot. Like, I can feel, <laughs> I, I know exactly what that is, and we all need an editor. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I just want to say that uh, Nancy Evans... Well, she and Dan, they were talk about perfect couple for each other because uh, she was his partner in, in the whole political process. Actually, you know, she had kids. She had a child and when she uh, was uh, first went to the, the state capitol in, in Olympia. They had two boys already, small boys, and then another boy that was born there. But uh, they were both involved in the community. They care about the community. And she was, I think, um, a loving partner to him, and um, and they were they just were this great couple, power couple, and you can't have uh, they just were the best, and and I just really liked her a lot, and just uh, uh, may she rest in peace. Nancy Bell Evans, uh, the wife of Republican Dan Evans, who's still alive, ninety eight years 98, old. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that voice of God, that, yes. you know, that that voice he has is just incredible. And kind yes. of the, the old school Northwest Republican. Yes, yes. Right. very much. Yeah, so. Green, yeah. Environment. yeah. Good old days. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> different yeah. Kind of Dan, Dan Evans purged yeah. the John Birch Society right. from the Republican right. Party in the '60s, right? And yeah, I uh, talked to him uh, a couple of years ago. We were talking at another event, and you know about the whole thing about Trump. And he says, "Oh, he's going to go away." Mm-hmm. But Nancy's, he said, "Nancy doesn't think so." Uh-oh. And so Nancy was right. Hey, she had a pretty yeah. good political barometer. A good spouse, like, is like, it's like such a great resource for keeping some of these politicians in check yes. at home. The cough. <laughs> 
Uh, look, we got two minutes left of this show. I just I want to leave listeners something to smile about. Um, I'll, I'll make mine quickly. The Seahawks have a new coach. My mm-hmm. McDonald, I had heard his former high school football coach say how smart he was, so I read more. I found these quotes from three NFL players. Jadavian Clowney called him the smartest defensive coordinator he's ever seen. Patrick Queen, nobody does it like him. Nobody will do what he does. Roquan Smith called him a mad scientist. And finally, I'd like to read from a piece in the Baltimore Sun, quote, when Leonardo da Vinci was painting The Last Supper, he would sometimes stare at his work for an hour, make a single stroke, then leave. Men of lofty genius sometimes accomplish the most when they work least, da Vinci said, for their minds are occupied with their ideas and the perfection of their conceptions to which they afterwards give form. Da Vinci, of course, was an unrelenting... I'm still reading. Da Vinci, of course... <laughs> Da Vinci, of course, was an unrelenting perfectionist, a label that could also be applied to Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald in his creation of a masterful and historic unit. Okay, I can see a video promo by the Seahawks with him and a scientist uh, doing, you know, creating well, these chapels. Well, it does get me excited about this yeah. new character. You well, know, we go from yeah. Gumshoer to Leonardo Da Vinci. Yes, that's, but I thought, I'm not going to be able to, I'm not smart enough to be able to understand this guy. So this week, the Seahawks What, what formally... was Leonardo's position on the Blitz? Well, <laughs> we'll find out. We'll find Do it. out. Do it. Yeah, he was, that's what Mike McDonald was introduced this week, and he said... This is a special city, and we got the best fans in the world. And I understand where this organization wants to go, and I'm just juiced to go do it whoa slow down there da vinci i don't i don't understand the biomechanics of being juiced but i do know that the seahawks missed the playoffs and they're hoping for a renaissance well that you know made me they, smile. they say the uh, they call the nfl not the national football league but for not for long you know that's the thing in, the, in pro football is yeah. that it's not for long so he's got he's got to come in he's got to win we have Let's seconds left All right. any anything else that you want our listeners to know oh, very quickly i'd like to say that i one thing that makes me smile is watching all the uh, Fox News and the MAGA folks have a meltdown over Taylor Swift. <laughs> you know, it's Tell just... to El- Elmo, guys. Yeah, and yeah. Elmo. Yeah, yeah, right. right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, we got to go. Can we leave it there? Your yeah. your your optometrist or something has a oh kid yeah. In the no, major I, I was I had another sports one of a yeah. two young men from Seattle that just this week had great um uh um. Pro sports. Corbin Carroll on the Arizona Diamondbacks just got his um, uh, National League Rookie of the Year award. And yeah. pa- Paolo Banchero was just uh, uh, picked for the All-Star team in the NBA. You Thanks. are all my All-Stars. Lex Vaughn, Editor-in-Chief, The Needling. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. Sandeep Kaushik, political yeah. public affairs consultant and uh, member of the Seattle Nice podcast. Thank you. Thank Sandeep. you for having me. Enrique Serna, retired recovering broadcast journalist, <laughs> co-host of the Chino Ichicano podcast with Matt Chan. Great to see you again. Thank you. Good to see you, too. Thank come you. back. Will you come back? Yes. Yeah. yes. Please ne- do. Next time I'll bring tape. <laughs> yeah. 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 Bring tape. Thank you. We love tape. Producer Kevin Kinestet does. Bernard Willett running the board. Thank you. We'll see you next week.